0: Proverbs chapter number 7. I miss Jason not being here and his specials on Wednesday night. And uh, I don't know, does anybody else ever wonder to yourself why we don't have the same number on Wednesday night that we have on Sunday morning? Uh, Maybe it's just me. I've just always wondered uh, why we wouldn't. Uh, And, of course, I wonder why some churches... Closed down on Wednesday night and on Sunday night. I never really figured that out, but uh, anyway, we're here. So, Proverbs chapter seven. We're going to try to go through this whole chapter tonight. And as you know, we've uh, uh, we've uh, taken our time in some areas and just taken a, a few little verses at a time and considered them. But then sometimes to really get the complete picture, I think it's better if we step it up a little bit, and, and this chapter happens to be one of those, and so uh, no promise, but uh, I'm going to try to get through the whole chapter tonight, and uh, the reason has to do with the fact that this chapter, uh, basically in my mind as I read and think about it, has to do with two roads. And 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 I think of it as a divinely constructed drama that God put together, depicting two things, the danger of temptation and the destructiveness of transgression. And first of all, he speaks about the way of righteousness and uh, its blessings. And then after that, he speaks about the way of rebellion and... Uh, and the burdens that it brings. So the choice is ours. You know, we can take the road of righteousness, or we can take the road to ruin. Uh, There used to be an old, I think it was a Stamps-Baxter song, old Southern Gospel song uh, that said, I'm on the right road now. Anybody ever heard that? And uh, I used to like to listen to that and uh, the four-part harmony in it, but... uh, You know, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we on the right road? I'm on the right road now. Well, let's think about these two roads. First of all, in the first five verses, he speaks about the road of righteousness. And we're going to look at each verse individually here. But I want you to notice ahead of time here that I said the road of righteousness, not the road to righteousness. Because we're not saved by human effort, and nobody is saved by trying to live righteously. You know, a lot of folks, a lot of religions teach, you know, if we live righteous lives, if we do the best we can, keep the golden rule, be a good neighbor, and all of that, uh, you know, we'll get to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us very clearly that works won't work. Works won't get us to heaven, so it's only through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Now, here's what we need to understand. Even though we've been saved, we have not yet been made perfectly righteous. We're we're saved only by having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. You know, sometimes we use phrases, uh, uh, religious jargon and terminology that you know, especially kids aren't familiar with, but but there and and sometimes people wonder, well, why do you even use phrases like that? Well, because it's important. For example, uh, a lot of times you've heard me refer to the judicial reckoning of God, and, and I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, whenever you think about His judicial reckoning, what that simply means is is that when we come to Christ and trust Him as our Savior, judicially, God acting as the judge of the universe, God judicially imparts to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about being wrapped in the robe of His righteousness. In other words, His righteousness, which is perfect, is counted in God's reckoning as though it is our righteousness you see and on that basis on that grounds God is able to accept us he never could on any other grounds because all of us are imperfect we're all sinners so even though we've been saved on our way to heaven all of our sins have been forgiven even though someday we're going to be glorified someday we're going to be perfect we'll be like Christ the bible says that's going to happen someday But between now and then, well, we're still in the flesh, right? And we still wrestle with these problems and temptations and we have faults and failures and what have you. So we're not perfectly righteous, but we now have a responsibility to live as righteously as we possibly can. And Christ is our example for that. The Bible is our guide for that. The Holy Spirit is our helper in that. And we have nobody to blame but ourselves if we fail. I cannot blame somebody else. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my kids. I can't blame the church. You know, uh, sometimes people do us wrong and things of that nature but I cannot blame them if I fail. Now, with all of that in mind, considering our responsibility to live righteously, that is to take the righteous road, there are five things in these first five verses I want you to notice. And the first one, verse number one, the first thing of importance is that this deserves our attention. Solomon said, My son... "...keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee." Obviously, from that, we conclude that children ought to listen to their parents. Children ought to listen to their fathers, and especially when the remarks are based on the Word of God. But as every parent knows, getting the the attention of children, well, that can be a real struggle. I mean really getting their attention. Now, you can threaten them. You can say, if you don't sit down there and listen to me, I'm going to spank you, and they'll sit there and they'll be quiet. But that doesn't mean they're really tuned in. If we're going to teach them the way of righteousness, we have to have their attention. But the question is, how do we get it? Especially in this day and age with all of the video games, you know, and now we got it all in one bundle, you know, we got it all in a little old cell phone. And I mean, man, you know, not only can they just spend hour after hour after hour texting their friends, you know, they can Google stuff and it just, you got a computer right here in your hand, and it's absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, it's no wonder we have a hard time getting their attention. But what I'm going to say next, I think, is the real key to it. In order to get their attention, we have to give them our attention. And that's where the real problem is. Uh, A lot of times we don't give our children the attention that they need, and if we don't give them our attention, you know, well, they're certainly not going to pay attention to us it 's so easy to get caught up in the rat race, the helder skelder life you know and, and it you know it might have to have to do with uh, recreation, something that we enjoy. It might have to do with being a workaholic or whatever it is, but there's just a lot of kids today that do not get the attention they need from their parents. You know, and then we wonder why did they go wrong? Well, you know, it's not any wonder to it. They didn't get any attention, and consequently, they didn't get any training. That's why I've often said, you know, sometimes I think we ought to, uh, we ought to, whenever you know the kids get in trouble, we ought to lock up mom and dad, you know, and let the let the kid go free, uh, because a lot of times the parents are responsible, you know, for for the kid being in the trouble that they're in. And so they need attention from us. Now, Solomon is giving his son that attention. And, n- and notice he says, my son. This is a term of endearment. He is appealing to him on the basis of, of his love for him. So it demands, it demands our attention. But notice it also demands obedience. Verse number 2, listen to what he says now to his son. Keep my commandments and live and my law. "...as the apple of thine eye." Now, notice here, first of all, he speaks about responsibility, keep. Then he speaks about reason, he says live. And then he speaks about reasoning, he says, "...as the apple of thine eye." So let's start at the end, the last of those three things there related to obedience. This phrase, apple of thine eye, has to do with the pupil of the eye. And the point is, just as we naturally protect our eyes, you know, if somebody throws something, what do we do? We throw our hands up. You know, we protect our eyes. That's only natural. It's reasonable that we want to protect our sight. And the whole idea here is just as that is natural for us, even so, we ought not to be careless when it comes to our manner of life when it comes to the righteous instruction that we receive from our parents or the authority that is over us. But notice the motivation for this, because in speaking of the reward of obedience and uh, and respecting the, the authority over us, he sums it up with the word live. He says, keep my commandments and what? Have fun? No, he didn't say that. He said, keep my commandments and what? Get rich? No, he didn't say that. Keep my commandments and live. And, and, you know, not many people realize that obedience to the Lord is a matter of life and death. J- just for a second, turn all the way over to Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter number 6. There are three verses here that that our children need to hear over and over again. And we need to think about our responsibility to them and the gravity of this matter when we talk about how important it is that children honor and obey their parents. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the duty. But notice the disposition Verse 2, honor thy father and mother. So the children are to obey them, and they are to honor them. Notice this, which is the first commandment with promise. And that takes us, of course, all the way back to the book of Genesis. But verse 3, this is the kicker, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. A person in the Bible, the Bible in Ecclesiastes says, why will a man die before his time? There is a timeline out there in our life that none of us will ever pass, and God knows where that is. But we can shorten our life by disobedience to God. And in fact, John wrote about that in, uh, in his, one of his epistles. He said, there is a sin unto death. And he's speaking there to Christians and about Christians and the fact that when we fail to respond to God's chastisement, there's a sin unto death. And so this matter of obedience is a matter of prosperity and longevity. We can live longer on the earth whenever we show respect for the authority that God has placed over us. So it deserves our attention and it demands obedience. But going back now... To our text, and here's the third thing about it, verse three, that this this obedience, this traveling down the road of righteousness, is developed from the heart. It says, "Bind them upon thine thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart." You know, they said things different back then than what we do today, and uh, you know, today we might say tie you know, tie a string around your finger to remember something. I've li- literally put my rings on backwards or my watch on backwards just to remind myself of something because I know that's not natural, that's not the way that it goes, and uh, so I would turned it around backwards. And so this is the idea here when he says, bind them upon thine fingers, we... Uh, talked the other day about the habit of the Jews using the phylacteries, and they'd have a little leather box with bits of the law, and they'd, you know, put them around their head and have it between their eyes, or they'd have them, you know, on their wrists or on their hands. And in this case, he's talking about uh, the fingers. And so he's simply saying that you are to retain... the the teaching that you receive. But notice, then he says, write them upon the table of thine heart. So it's more than a matter of the mind. In other words, just filing the information up here. It's a matter of having God's Word engraved upon our heart. And whenever, whenever our heart is filled with love for what's good, then we are well armed against the seduction of evil. In other words, we are prepared for temptation by hiding the Word of God in our heart. Now, verse 4, it tells us here, the fourth thing about this, that it it depends on and it displays wisdom. It says, say unto wisdom. So, he uses, he personifies wisdom. He speaks about wisdom as though it is a person, and that's a common practice in the Book of Proverbs. Say unto wisdom, "Thou art my sister," and call understanding thy kinswoman. In other words, he's simply saying here that you have to live your life depending upon wisdom, and those that that walk on the road of righteousness are demonstrating wisdom. Somebody going down the road to ruin, you know, we often use words like foolish and stupid and and all kinds of different words to describe that. But when you see someone that's going down the road of righteousness that's doing what is right instead of what is wrong, that's following God's Word instead of what is popular, that's a demonstration of wisdom on their part. And this is what Proverbs is all about. It's a contrast between wisdom and folly and showing us the importance of us walking in wisdom. Well, look at verse 5 now, and he tells his son here and us that this delivers us from temptation. Still talking about obedience. We're talking about walking the road of righteousness. It delivers us from temptation. Notice he says, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Now, this same principle applies to all sin, regardless of what it might be. But in this case, he's dealing with a specific sin. That he's going to enlarge upon here in just a, a, a few minutes. So, when we embrace the Word of God with all of our heart, it enables us to overcome temptation. That's why Psalms 119 verse 11 says, uh, "says Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee." And so, that's our protection. What, what did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness? All three times as he was tempted of Satan, he quoted the Word of God. You see, that, that, that is our shield, that is our, uh, that, that is our weapon against Satan. We're to hide the Word of God in our hearts. So, if it's true that hiding the Word of God in our heart prepares us to be able to resist temptation, then those who neglect to hide the Word of God in their heart are ill-equipped to meet whatever it is they're forced to face. In other words, you can just figure that you're going to fail. Remember, Job said, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. Uh, I'll tell you what, you try to, you go without eating for a week, let's say, and you, th- you think you couldn't do it, but you could. Uh, you wouldn't have to eat a bite for a week. As long as you drink water, as long as you hydrate yourself, you, you would survive. Uh, but then at the end of that week, you try to put in a, a hard day's work. And you're going, to, you're going to find there's a noticeable difference. Why? Because now you've not received the nourishment that you need, and, and, and you're weakened as a result of it. And so many people think they can get by with neglecting the Word of God. Oh, I get enough on Sunday, you know. I mean, my, I go to Sunday school, I'm in the Sunday morning service, the Sunday night service, and then, and then a lot of times I'm even there on Wednesday. I get all of the Bible study that I need. No, you don't. None of us do. This is one thing none of us can ever get too much of. We need to live our lives in the Word of God, and we need to be in it to some extent every single day of our life. It's that important. And sometimes we wonder why somebody falls. You know, somebody, we think, oh my, you know, I, I never dreamed that they would fall. And it seems to be sudden to us, right? Because, I mean, one week here they are, and they've been faithful to God for all of these years, and just kapoof out of nowhere, all of a sudden, their, their, their life just collapses around them, and we... You know, we we scratch our head and wonder, how could that happen, you know, so rapidly? It didn't happen rapidly. It happened over a period of time and, and probably as a result of neglecting the Word of God. It'll catch up with you sooner or later. So if we'll keep those five facts in mind regarding the road of righteousness, it'll help all of us. Now, all of a sudden... Our attention is changed to the road of ruin, and that picks up in verse 6. And he talks about a path of danger, and notice what he says. And there's two characters in this drama. We're introduced to two people, and the first one is the young man. And notice as we read these verses here, we learn that in verse, according to verse 7, he is called simple. We've talked about that already. It uh, doesn't mean he's crazy or anything like that. It doesn't mean he's uh, a dummy. It just means he's inexperienced. He's easily led astray. And he's probably he's probably young. And verse 7 again says he's void of understanding. So he's someone without a lot of understanding, whether it's the, his immaturity or whatever it is. But notice verse 6. For, for at the window of my house I look through... Th- My casement, that's the lattice, as we would call it today. Verse 7 And behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Now, here is an older man who can foresee this young man and that he's headed for trouble. And he's troubled by it. It bothers him. He's looking out of his house and he sees this young man out there and he knows this young man is headed for trouble. You know, so many times we see young people headed for trouble and it doesn't even seem to bother us and it ought to be tearing us apart. It ought to be troubling us deeply whenever we see them headed down the wrong road. And that's the picture here. An older man looking out the window of his house, seeing this young man about to get in trouble. And, um, you know, I, I, if if I had the teens here, I, I would say to them, please do not take it lightly when adults try to warn you of danger because they're, they're speaking from experience, they're speaking out of concern, and, and they would surely do themselves a big favor if they'd listened to the older folks. Now, notice what he sees. Verse number 8, passing through the street near her corner. And we'll get to her in a little bit. But the young man, the simple one that's void of understanding, notice he's passing through the street near her corner, and uh, he went the way to her house. Now, I don't need to tell you, this young guy is in dangerous territory. And uh, uh, so, so many times, especially nowadays with... Everything from Facebook to mainly there, boy, I can just see it happening with some people, especially young people, and they're headed in the wrong direction, and they're headed for trouble. And verse 9, it's in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, This is what we would say he is on the prowl. He's out late at night. He's looking for trouble and he's about to find it. I can remember as a young boy, us guys sitting around, and uh, you know, I'm ashamed of what, I, of what I was whenever I was a kid growing up and uh, all of the wrong things I did. I can't go back and undo those things. Uh, But I I wouldn't want any young person to ever live the kind of life that I did. And I can remember us guys sitting around and talking saying, you know, what can we do? What can we do now? And and by that, I mean, it was get in trouble of some kind, you know. And uh, what can we do? Just uh, get out here and entertain ourselves by doing something that we knew was wrong. And you mark it down, whenever a kid starts staying out late at night, nothing good's going to come out of it. And that's what's happening here. He is out there. He's headed for trouble at nighttime when he ought to be been home in bed because back then, it's not like today, you know, when so many kids and I guess so many adults stay up till midnight. I, I never have figured that out, I, you know, but uh, some people enjoy doing that. But... Uh, Back in those days, I mean, when the sun went down, it was just a matter of time before, before everybody was in bed. Of course, they were up before the sun came up in the morning, too, and that balanced things out. So we've got this kid out there. and I remember, this guy is in the house, and he's watching this unfold. And here this young man is out there late at night, and now our attention is turned to the woman beginning in verse number 10. And there are several things about her I want you to notice that he points out. And the first thing has to do with her attire, what she's wearing. Verse 10, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. You know, dress makes a difference in how people look at you. You know, and if, if a woman dresses like a harlot, other people are going to assume that maybe she is you know i mean that's the that's the assumption that that you arrive at uh, and her in her appearance leaves the impression that she's just out advertising and uh, the bible tells us as christians we are to avoid the very appearance of evil i was talking the other day about this sermon that i, I you know I, i'm glad to preach whatever god gives me liberty to preach and i but I'll tell you, for the life of me, whenever you you look ahead, and I'm just human like anybody else, and when you know you're about to drop a bombshell in, in people's laps and you know how they're going to res- respond or react to it would be a better word, you know, it's not a pleasant situation to be in. When I first started preaching, I didn't care whether I upset people or not. And, and now I do. It bothers me. I I do care what people think about me, and I want to make sure I'm right in what I say. But I'm telling you, I, for the life of me, I do not understand what's going on in our churches nowadays. And, and you probably already guessed, a lot of it has to do with what we're talking about right here this matter of appearance, the, the 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 idea that it doesn't make any difference how we dress, uh, it, it's it's horrible, it's terrible, and uh, but anyway, this woman, what whatever whatever you want to envision, I don't know how you picture this in your mind. Whether she's out there in you know hot pants or a miniskirt or a, you know whatever it is, it's the attire of a harlot. In other words. However she is dressed is not the way the average woman would dress in those days. Just by looking at her, the determination could be made this woman is on the job. She's working it. Now, verse 10, also notice not only her attire, but notice her attitude. It says here that she's subtle of heart. That means crafty. And it implies that her true feelings and or her intentions are concealed. In other words, she's lying to somebody. And and as you're going to see later on, she's lying to her husband about this. And by the way, she's deceiving this young man. But this is somebody that cannot be trusted. Now, notice her, her attributes, verse number 11. She's loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house. Well, if you read 1 Peter 3, the first six verses there, and 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse 11 through 16, you'll see this is exactly the opposite of a godly woman because the godly woman is quiet and meek and of an humble spirit and a keeper at home. That's what the Bible says. And she, notice she's loud, she's stubborn, and her feet abide not in her house. She's out and about instead of being at home taking care of things there. Now verse 12, all the way down now through verse 23, all of this part deals with her allurement. Verse 12, now she is without, that's out of the house, she's on the loose, now in the streets notice, and lieth in wait at every corner. She's stalking her prey. At, at, at every corner, she's lying in wait. You know, it's interesting to me, and I thought about this this afternoon when I was thinking about this, that, that she's, although she's in the attire of a harlot, notice she is not pictured as a common prostitute but rather as a sinful, unfaithful wife acting as a harlot. Are you with me? Am I making sense? So it doesn't mean that she's a harlot in the truest sense of the word. She's a housewife, but she is pretending to be a harlot. You know, whenever I thought about that, you know, we just might be shocked if we really knew what a lot of wives do and husbands When nobody's looking, when there's no one around, when nobody sees them, you know, we might be amazed at what goes on. And that's what's happening here. She's left the house. She's out late at night. You'll see in a little bit the husband, he's gone. He's out of town. He's on a business trip. So she's out walking the streets, going from corner to corner, stalking her prey. Notice verse 13. She caught him and introduced herself. No. She kissed him and, and with an imprudent face said unto him, Notice how aggressive and arrogant she is, and, and she wants, she wants a young man, and she's going all out to get him. She has no shame. But listen to what she says. This is, this, if you understand this is going to knock you off your feet. She says, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Now this is the height of hypocrisy because she, she made a profession to keep the Mosaic law, but her heart is rotten and corrupt as it can be. Now here's the key to it. In the, in the giving of a peace offering, certain parts of the animal was taken, and it was offered up as a sacrifice, and the priests got some. But then what was left over, the person bringing the offering was able to take that and consume it as food. But they had to eat it on the same day. In other words, they couldn't put it up, they couldn't... You know, they couldn't save it till later. That was just the law. Whatever reason, whatever the leftovers of the offering were, they had to eat it on the same day. And, and, and get what she's doing. She's saying, in essence, she's saying, I've been to church, as it were. I've paid my vows. and what, In other words, I've re- relieved my obligation to God. And why don't we just go to my house and have a feast? I'll cook supper for you. We'll have a, we'll have a party. The same animal, the same animal that she's offered up to God, the parts of it, the same animal, now she's going to use to feed this young man. Verse 15, Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. No doubt that was exactly what he wanted to hear. In, in other words, she made him feel special and and, and next comes the pleasure the, the promise of pleasure. But, but before that comes this this remember she's subtle crafty in her heart. she's making him feel like he is somebody special I've been looking for notice diligently to seek thy face, and I finally found you, my dear. Boy, it's, wow, that, let me tell you what, that scene gets played out over and over and over and over again every day in offices across America. You know, the wife leaves the home and uh, it might be that her and her husband have, haven't been intimate in in, uh, in a year or whatever, it might be that he's a wife beater or whatever and uh, you know he gets up in the morning and he's unshaven, his hair's not combed, he looks like a, a a bum. And she goes she goes off to work and walks in the office and you know here's this dude you know that just uh, he he's got on his best suit of clothes and looks nice and everything. And so the next thing you know you've got this conversation going on. Oh, you look so nice today. Oh, I love that shirt. Uh, you know where 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 did you get that and, well, I, I don't need, you know what I'm talking about. You've you've been around the world enough, I mean, you've heard that kind of stuff, and and if you've got any sense, you know exactly what's going on. Now the conversation continues. Verse number 16, I have decked my bed. Boy, I tell you, this is moving fast. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works and fine linen of Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. I don't. I don't need to make any comment there. The picture's clear as a bell. Verse nineteen: For the good man is not at home; he has gone on a. he he has gone a long journey. Verse 20, he's taken a bag of money with him. In other words, he's a merchant. He's out traveling. He's on business. He's taking a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. You know, today we would say he's out on a business trip and there's no way he can come home until his flight arrives. We're safe. He'll never know. So in her mind, she's got it all figured out. And she's free to do as she pleases. No way she's going to get caught. And uh, so that's what she has in mind. She's trying to convince him. And and that was really easy. Verse 21 with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Folks, don't ever underestimate the power of words. They're powerful, and with her, her, the flattering of her lips. Remember back verse fifteen. Therefore came I forth to meet thee. I've been looking for you diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. And so she enticed him. Verse 22, And he goeth after her straightway. That means suddenly. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. He is so overwhelmed by her words that he just literally cast off all restraint. He ignores all of his training squelches his conscience and just plunges headlong into sin. And Solomon says he's like an animal that's being led to the slaughter and totally, totally unaware of the danger that he's in. He's like a fool or a criminal put in the stocks to, you know, confined and degraded, hopefully to correct him. Verse 23, till a dart... Strike through his liver as a bird hasteneth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Boy, sin is a costly, terrible, painful thing. Now, notice the picture of destruction. I'm just going to read through this and be through now. Verse number 24, on down through the end of the chapter. And this is the picture of destruction. Hearken unto me, and I've underlined this word in my Bible, now. Therefore, I underline that. It's important. And if you want to know what it's there for, just look back at what we've just said. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children. I, I can just, you know, picture Solomon sitting there with his kids around him and attend to the words of my mouth. Listen to what I'm saying. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her path, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. You know, this ought, this ought to be warning enough for anyone who is tempted to yield to sin. And, and, and I realize tonight the particular sin that he's been talking about is of a sexual nature. I understand that. But, but the same could be said about any sin whatsoever. Sin is the transgression of the law, and, and God hates sin. And as I've said so many times, no one ever sins successfully. Nobody. It always catches up with you sooner or later. So uh, protect yourself. And right here is the way to do it. Right here. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word every single day. And let it guide you and protect you from the wiles of the devil. Remember what I said at the beginning? If we fail... We have nobody to blame but ourselves. We're not perfect, but God has given us everything we need in order to live a victorious life until we finally get to heaven. We we don't sin because we have to. I'm talking about Christians now. We don't sin because we have to. We sin because we want to. We give into it, and, and 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 we'd be so much wiser if we refused and. We'd live a lot longer too. So I hope tonight something has been said that will just remind all of us of the danger of sin.